Oh, the, tr the truth hurts so much, doesn't it? Man, I I've been around Chicago for a good long time. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I have. And I, I can't remember a year where people were more upset about Chicago Bears. I, I don't know if you heard the jokes that are going around. Maybe you heard this one. Uh, how many Chicago Bears does it take to change a flat tire? Just one, unless it's a blowout, then the whole team gets involved. <laughs> yeah, there's another one. Uh, did you hear uh, the joke that Jay Cutler told his wide receivers? They didn't get it. It went right over their head. Because, <laughs> see, he's a quarterback and he throws. The one I like best, though, is uh, what do Chicago Bears players and Chick-fil-A employees have in common? <laughs> Don't work on Sundays. <laughs> oh, my. But there is a point, a promise. That isn't just local flavor. There is a point. Uh, welcome to part two of our series called The Colors of Christmas. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm the other Tim. Uh, Pastor Tim Harlow is speaking at a sister church of ours out in Las Vegas this morning. So he's uh, out in much warmer, sunnier weather, suffering for Jesus. So, you know, uh, but he sends his, his regards. Uh, this is part two of Colors of Christmas. If you were here last weekend, you know that the first color we talked about was blue. And it's like, you know, emotionally blue. Yeah. Uh, it's associated with feeling down, feeling bad. Elvis was, was in the house by video, just, but, but he was still in the house. And we talked about how Christmas can be a really hard time for a lot of folks emotionally because there's, there's just so many things that can make us just feel blue. And today we're talking about the color red. Now, traditionally, we see a lot of red at Christmas time. Obviously, you know, there's red bows and there's red poinsettia flowers. And, you know, Santa's suit's always red. And, of course, Rudolph's famous nose is, is red, obviously. But I'm thinking about it in a different sort of way. Uh, where I grew up, there was a saying that when you, were, when you were just really angry, really mad, you say, man, I was so mad, I was just seeing red. How many ever heard that phrase? Okay, 12 of you. Um, <laughs> but seriously, it's like, you know, you get hot under the collar, and you, you know, somebody who, when they're, when they're really, you know, temper and just lose, uh, and, 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 you know, traditionally, you know, outside of Christmas time, uh, uh, the color red is associated with an emotion that looks, well, something like this. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's funny when it's a little kid's face, a little kid's just, just furious. But it's not so funny when it's us. And I'm talking about when there's, there's somebody in your life that, that, that makes you feel that way. Somebody in your life that one way or another makes you see red. And actually, I like to think about the whole red thing this way. Uh, I, I'm not a big soccer fan, but there's one part of the game of soccer that I like a whole lot. I, I like the way they kick people out of soccer games. And uh, we prepared a little video montage of people getting kicked out of soccer games. And, and watch for the very last few seconds. Watch how the last guy gets kicked out. Uh, roll that clip for us.
Did you catch that? The guy's getting carried off the field on a stretcher, and he, and he, and he gets the, the red card. He gets thrown out, man. Talk about adding insult to injury. That's, that's funny right there. I, 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 don't care, I don't care who you are. But, 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 but here's, here's, here's where we're going with this. I'm saying everybody in this room has got somebody in their life that they struggle with anger and resentment and hostility towards that person. And odds are that in the next couple of weeks, because the holidays, you're going to have to see them. <laughs> and uh, not only are you going to have to see them, you may even have to buy them a present. <laughs> when, when, when what you really wish you could do to that person, truth be told, if you could get away with it, you, you just walk up to that person, here's what you like to do at Christmas time. It's, it, it's just the way that it works. I think, I think we've all got people like that in our lives, people who make us hot under the collar, people who make us see red. And uh, Don't answer out loud, but who is it for you? Maybe it's somebody who wrongs you a long time ago. Maybe it's somebody who continues to wrong you, hurt you. Or maybe for you, a lot of people say, well, it's not what they did to me. It's what they did, you know, to my wife or to my husband or to my son or my daughter or my mom or my dad. That's, that's, that's why I just can't, can't stand them. Or maybe it's somebody who's just generally obnoxious. But it's, it, but it's somebody, it's somebody that uh, has hurt you and wronged you. And, and, and to get the most out of this experience today, just right in the privacy of your own mind and, and, and heart right now, just if there was one person who, who you could just go, I, if I'd not have to see them this year, I, I'd not. I'd, if I could just, I would. Who is it? And take my advice, if they're sitting next to you, look at me right up here, okay? We don't want anybody, any high elbows, no high sticking, no flagrant two fouls. We'd hate, hate to have to red card you out of this, out, 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 out of this service. See, see every, every one of us has got somebody like that. And uh, we're probably going to have to see him in the next couple of weeks or so. And uh, I know what somebody's thinking. though. It's going, yeah, but why are you talking about this? You know, th th this, this is Christmas. This is a time of good feelings and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Why are you talking about anger and resentment and the hostility that we hold on to toward people? Good question. Thanks for asking. See, to really understand the Christmas story, we got to understand that the first Christmas happened against this backdrop of some pretty intense anger and hostility. I'll, I'll prove it to you. You might recognize these words from Luke chapter 2. I'll just read them out loud. They should be on the screen. You can follow along with your eyes. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be taxed. Now to us, that just sounds like, you know, historical detail, Caesar Augustus, somebody way back in the day, whatever. But see, the name Caesar Augustus alone had just like huge negative emotional impact for the people. 
Because see, Mary and Joseph's people at the time, they were a conquered people. They were an oppressed people. And the name of their conqueror and oppressor was Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was emperor of the Roman Empire. And, and, and the Roman Empire uh, was cruel, merciless, exploitive. They'd crush anybody and everybody who, who got in their way. And when it says in that, in that text that, that Caesar Augustus said everybody should be taxed, check this out. Historians, some historians tell us that Mary and Joseph's people were being taxed at a rate of up to 90% of their income. And I thought living in Illinois was rough. Man. And what was worse is, is if you couldn't pay your taxes, uh, many people were having their homes confiscated to pay their taxes. And many people were having um, ancestral lands that had been in the family for generations taken away from them, all because of Caesar Augustus and his taxes. And so Caesar Augustus was like, ooh, just that name made people see red. But, but, it, wasn't, but it wasn't just Caesar Augustus that contributed to the climate of hostility at the time. Here's a, another one from, from the Bible. It says, this is, this is Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Herod 2. Herod 2. Just the mention of his name was somebody's like, oh. Herod, yeah, it, historically, historians refer to him as Herod the Great. Now, man, he was not great. He was a bad, bad Man, you may know the part in the story that when he found out that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, he was so paranoid that, that since Jesus had been spoken of as a king, that he was a threat, he was a threat to his political power. It's like, going, wait a minute, political power? I thought you said Caesar Augustus was emperor. How is there a king? The way that it worked is, see, when Rome would invade a place and conquer it, they would choose some, some politically motivated, power-hungry local person to sort of rule the area as their proxy, kind of like a franchise. And that's what King Herod did. King Herod ruled Mary and Joseph's people on behalf of Rome as like the local dictator. And so he was a traitor. And he was the one that when he found out that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem and uh, he wasn't sure exactly when that he had every baby in, in the town under the age of two, every baby boy under the age of two killed. But his bloodthirstiness and his cruelty didn't stop there, y'all. He, he, he was so paranoid and so intent on holding on to his power. Uh, when he, uh, he, had, he had one of his wives executed because he thought she was plotting against him. He had three of his own sons executed because he was afraid they were plotting against him. He was a bad man. He was so bad that late in his life, he was dying slowly of a debilitating incurable illness and he knew he was gonna die and he knew that no one would be mourning and grieving when he died because he was so hated. So what he had to do, he had his soldiers round up the, the most respected leading local citizens, locked them all in an athletic stadium and gave orders to his soldiers that at the moment they got word that, that King Herod had died, that they were that they, were to, that they were to butcher all of these people. Because he knew nobody would cry for him. But he was just going to make sure there was going to be crying anyways. He was a bad man. So much anger and so much hostility in those days. But it, but it wasn't just like on that political national scale. One, one more biblical connection between Christmas and anger and resentment. I, I, I'm sure these words sound familiar to most of us. These are from Luke chapter 2 again. And when the time came for the baby to be born, she gave birth to her firstborn 
a son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. You know, no room in the inn. One of those famous Christmas phrases that's, that's, that's in our culture. And we hear no room in the inn and we think about it modern wise. And we think, oh, that just means that all the hotels and motels and whatever had their no vacancy signs lit up. No, it's interesting. The, uh, I get a little fancy here. The, the Greek scholars, biblical Greek scholars will tell you that that room in isn't, a, is the, excuse me, that word in isn't the best uh, of translations. That that really should be translated. There was no room in the guest room. Anybody going to have family staying in the guest room in the, ne- in the next couple of weeks? You know, you got the room in your house. When family comes, that's where family stays. Remember, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem to be taxed because that was, that was Joseph's hometown. That was where Joseph's people were from. So when they were looking for a place to stay for the night, knocking on doors, and you know, Mary's about to deliver, and, and people kept saying, no room, no room, no room. And finally somebody says, you know, you can, no, nah, but you can stay in the barn out back. That wasn't like a commercial thing. It wasn't like some poor night manager at the Bethlehem Motel 6 saying, oh, I'm sorry, my hands are tight. I've got, I've got no rooms left. I wish I could help you, but I can't. Yeah. No, it wasn't like that. The person who was saying, you can't stay in our guest room. No room. We, we, we can't squeeze you in. But if you want to use the barn, that, w- that was somebody from their extended family. Man, you thought yours was dysfunctional. I mean, think about that. How would you feel if you're Joseph and somebody from your own extended family, some, some second or third or fourth cousin or some, some aunt or uncle or something, just says, well, I know your family, but sorry. No, no room, guest room's kind of full up. No, not even a place for you on the floor. But if you want to hang out with the farm animals, you can. See, there's, there's this connection. Christmas, the first Christmas happens against the backdrop of, of a lot of wrongs being done to people. A lot of people, a lot of people being hurt. A lot of people. And the uh, Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. That started at the get-go for him. Friends, Jesus came into the world the first Christmas to a world that was riddled with hostility and bitterness and hard feelings on a whole lot of levels. And for a lot of us, you know, Christmas can still be that way with, with some people. And so again, uh, I'll ask you, even as I ask myself, don't say it out loud, but who is it? Who is it for you that if you had your druthers, you'd just not even see them? Fact is, you wouldn't care if you ever saw them again. You'd be glad. I know what it's like to feel that way. I got uh, at least one person in my life like that. But the more important question than who it is, the more important question is how can God help me. How can God help you with that person who makes you see red, with that person that if you could, you would just red card them right out of your Christmas. How can God help?
Well, here's, here's the first way. I, look, look how Jesus is referred to in Scripture. It says of Jesus, it says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised. That's a heavy word right there. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And when it says we esteemed him not, that's a way of saying, and we treated him like he was nothing. We treated him like he was less than nothing. We treated him like he was dirt. whoever it is that you might like to red card right out of your holidays if you could. Odds are beneath the anger and hostility and resentment you feel for them, odds, odds are there's a whole lot of hurt. That person hurt you. That person wounded you. That person rejected you. That person betrayed you. Or did that to somebody that you love and Christmas can be tough because we're around a lot of folks who've done a lot of things and it's hard. Uh, I spoke on, on, a, on a similar subject along these lines one time uh, when I was here last year. I told the story of my friend Jake and I, I got so many positive responses to it. I thought I'd just uh, share part of his story again because it, it, it seems to connect with folks. This is with my buddy Jake's Permission and in his own words, quote, alcohol was and continues to be my mom's favorite thing. The thing she chooses over everything, including a relationship with me. That's a tough thing for me to even write, let alone say out loud. And when I think about what she's done to me and my brothers, how she's robbed us of so much, how that's affected my relationship with my wife, and I'm sure in one way or another, my kids, it feels impossible not to be bitter the last time I had contact with my mom was after my first child was born. I hadn't heard from her in over a year. I hadn't even seen her in 20 years. And out of the blue, she contacted me. She said she'd gone through another rehab and was sober. And we started talking over the phone. One night I asked her if she said she'd like to meet her. If, I asked her if she would like to meet her new grandson. She said, she said she would. She didn't hesitate at all. But for some reason, she said she didn't want me to bring him to her house. But suggested we meet at a park. So I said I'd call her in the morning when I was on my way and we could meet at a park near her house. She said okay and we hung up. In the morning when I called, there was no answer. So I left a message that I was on my way and I packed up my son and headed out. I called again when I got to town. Again, no answer. I went to the park and she didn't show. After a while, I went to Walgreens, made a copy of my son's baby picture, put it in a card and wrote, Mom, just want to know you're loved. Want you to know you are loved. And went back to the park, left the card on the picnic table there. As I drove away, I called her again, leaving one last message, letting her know the card with the picture of her grandson was waiting for her there. When I hung up, I wept. And it hurt all over again. If you know my buddy Jake, you know that it's not, just what, it, it's not just what she did, it's what she didn't do. What he wanted is he wanted a mom who loved him and who cared for him and who was there for him, but, but, but she never was. And I spoke to him just this week and, and uh, uh, things haven't changed. And um, odds are whoever has really hurt you, it's somebody that was supposed to love you. It was somebody who was supposed to be there for you. It was somebody who was supposed to be true to you. But they weren't. And now you're left holding on to 
all this. And, and once again, who is it for you? But more importantly, how can God help? I want to share with you a verse that, that just means a lot to me and has helped me a lot in my own journey with this stuff. And hopefully it'll be helpful to you to look at these kind of famous words from the Christmas story from the gospel of Matthew. The virgin will conceive and, and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, somebody say it. What does it mean? Jesus' name means God with us. If, 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 if you understand nothing else, if you get nothing else about, about Christmas from being around Parkview this weekend, please get this. Christmas means that God is not up there, out there somewhere, high and mighty, distant and removed, oblivious and, and impervious to pain. That's not who God is. Christmas means that God knows what it's like. It means that God became a human being himself and the human being he became, even though he never hurt anybody, never did anything to anybody, not even once, he was despised and he was rejected and he was betrayed and he was treated like he was nothing. He was treated like he was less than nothing. And... Uh, I've shared with you before some of my own struggles. I, you know, I, I guess I've had my share of hard knocks along these lines. And yeah, there's somebody in my life that I, that I have a hard time not having a whole lot of hostility towards. It's, it's an ongoing struggle. I'd like to say, you know, I'm there. It's all going, you know, it's, 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 it's ongoing. But I, I, I would have never, ever made it this far. I would have never made it at all if it hadn't been for, for, for the God that I believe in who, 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 who I know knows what I'm going through, who knows what it's like to be despised and rejected and wounded. And again, don't answer out loud, but do, but do you know God that way? Or are you still thinking of him as, you know, a guy with a white beard, you know, you know out there, up there, somewhere, who doesn't really get it. Christmas means he gets it. He thrust himself into our hurt. He inserted himself into our pain and he takes it on himself. He knows. He knows. He's with you in what you're going through. That's his name. And I don't know if that helps you or not, folks, but that's helped me a whole lot over the years to know he's with me in this stuff. That's one way he can help. But, but another way he can help, uh, I, I, look at these words here from, from uh, Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, God speaks to us and, and God's speaking to anybody who claims to be a follower of his. And look what he says. He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And I know it's church. And it can sound, sort of sound like, oh yeah, scripture, blah, blah, blah. And one ear, not the other. But work with me on this. Notice what this verse does not say. When God says, see to it that, 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 that no one misses the grace of God and see to it that no root of bitterness takes hold in you. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, see to it that no root of bitterness takes hold in you because that's a sin. Doesn't say that. 
Notice it doesn't say, that doesn't say, um, see to it that no root of bitterness takes hold in you because that's just not right, or that's just not the religious thing to do, or that's just not the good Christian-y thing to do. Now, that's not what it says. God says, see to it that, that no root of bitterness takes hold of you. See to it that you, that, that you don't hold on to it, that, that, that you let go of your bitterness. Because if you don't, it's going to trouble you. It's going to trouble you. And that word defile just means mess up in a heavy way. And, and, and it's not only just going to mess with you, it's going to mess with the people around you. Because when, I meet, when I'm eating up with resentment or hostility and, or feeling bad towards somebody, it, I, I tend to, you know, send out vibes and it tends, ugh, it's like creates this negative force field around me. And see, what I want to know is, do you know, you, you knew, you knew as soon as I started talking about anger and resentment, you knew what I was going to say. And you knew I was going to say that God wants you to let that stuff go. But it's absolutely crucial why you think he wants to let that go. Do you think God is the God who's just trying to get you to jump through religious hoops? Do you think God is the God who just sets the bar here and says, you know, clear it and then your stock will go up in my book? Do you think God is the God who tells you to do stuff so you, after you do it, you can pat yourself on the back and, and, and feel like you feel like you've, you've scored some brownie points? Heavens no. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus, Christmas, think about it. Jesus didn't come to make you more religious. Jesus didn't come to make sure you got your act together. Jesus came to do you good. Jesus came to bless you, to make your life better. Anything God wants me to do, no matter how much of a struggle it is, it's something he wants me to do because he knows that if I don't listen to him, it's going to hurt me. I, I quote this verse almost every time I preach because it's about my favorite verse in the whole Bible and I have the microphone and I can say whatever I want. John 10, John 10, 10 is, is that G Jesus says, I've, I've come that you, have, that you might have life and have it to the full. Do you know him that way? Do you know the Jesus who isn't trying to clean you up or straighten you out or turn you into some sort of saint or monk or whatever? That, no, no, the Jesus says, hey, I'm here for you to have life. And what that bitterness and that resentment does to us, it, it, it brings something exactly the opposite. Reminds me of this story I heard years ago, and it's kind of stuck with me and interests me. Uh, th this hunter told this story. Hunter said one day he was out walking around the woods, which in my understanding is one of the things hunters do. And he was out walking, and, and he came across a strange thing. He came across a skeleton of an eagle. Now that part wasn't strange because as a hunter who spends a lot of time in the woods, he'd seen, he'd come across animal skeletons before, but this one was different. This skeleton of this eagle had the partial skeleton of another animal attached to its neck. And he looked closely and around the neck of this eagle was the skull of a weasel. And its jaws were just clamped tight around the throat of this eagle. And he thought about how could this be? And he figured it out. Apparently, I'm told by hunters, because they know, um, eagles and weasels go after the same kind of prey. And apparently this eagle and this weasel were going after the same prey and got there about the same time and got into it. 
and uh, someone took exception and they started fighting and that, and, and that weasel latched on to the throat of that eagle and that eagle couldn't shake that weasel loose and just kept shaking and shaking and shaking and, and, and couldn't shake it loose and, and since he couldn't get the weasel off, off uh, jaws from around his throat started eating that weasel from the tail up and ate it all the way up to the part of its body that, that the eagle couldn't reach anymore which was its skull right around its neck and the weasel never did let go and, and they both died and now maybe somebody's thinking, so are you saying I'm the eagle or the weasel? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll let you decide. But think about it. Come on now. They're both dead. <laughs> Have a nice day. Does it matter? Well, who started it, the eagle or the weasel? Doesn't matter. They're both dead. Do you know that Christmas means that, that all that God wants to do in your life, he means to bless you, to bring good, to make your life better? Do you know it? It's what he wants you to know. See, God wants us to open ourselves to letting go of that stuff. It kind of reminds me of that old Don Henley song. Hey, Don Henley fans in the house. Used to be lead singer for? It's a coincidence. I didn't plan it that way. I just thought, oh, we'll see if they get that. You got that. You know. Services yesterday, not so much. Um, I, I love that song that Don Henley did years and years and years ago. It was a top 40 hit and uh, called The Heart of the Matter. Maybe you remember the bridge from Don Henley's song, The Heart of the Matter. The bridge goes like this. The bridge says, there's people in your life who've come and gone. They've let you down. They've hurt your pride. Well, you better put it all behind you, baby. Life goes on. You keep carrying that anger. It'll eat you up inside. And uh, that's why God wants us to let go. Because he loves us and he cares about us. And he doesn't want that stuff to eat us up inside. But I know. I, I know what somebody else is thinking. You're going, well, that all sounds good, preacher boy, but... I can't, I can't let go. I'm a counselor, I talk to a lot of people. I hear a lot of reasons people tell me they can't let go. Some people say, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't let go because I'm afraid of what'll happen. If I do, I'm afraid they'll just do it again. I, I can't let go because it, it just didn't right. And they'll think they got away with it. Or, or I can't let go because I let go once before and then they just did it again. Or, or, or I can't lo let go. I just can't. The hurt's too deep. The, the pain's too strong. And I want to say to you, if that's where you are today, that with whoever it is that you might like to, you know, red card, 
out of your life. If, you, if you're here today and you're saying and feeling like, I just can't, I want to say to you just as straightforwardly and as honestly with you can't, with you, if I may, you're probably right. You're probably right. Maybe you can't. Philip Yancey is a favorite author of mine, and he wrote this book called What's So Amazing About Grace. And I thought I'd share a quote with it. Uh, with you from it. He says this, he says, he says, forgiveness is no sweet platonic idea to be sprayed into the world like air freshener from a can. Forgiveness is achingly difficult and long after you've forgiven, the wound lives on in memory. And then he says this, he says, forgiveness is an unnatural act. Think about that. Listen, what, what if, what if letting go is not something you do just because God said so or just because that's what good people do or that's what you're supposed to do? What if the, in some situations, forgiveness ain't going to happen? If it's left up to you, what if you can't? And what if maybe the reason you're here today is not just because it's Christmas and you go to church more often at Christmas or somebody invited you or, you know, you know, whatever. What if there's a reason you're here right now, you're experiencing this right now, because maybe it's your opportunity for the first time or the first time in a long time to earnestly say to God, God, I know what you want me to do. I know you want me to let go, but I just can't. Will you do it for me? Will you empower me? Because I can't. And what if it can work that way? What if it can work that way? What if when we yield ourselves to God and go, man, God, I can't, but, but you can. What, what if certain things can begin to happen when we just get the idea out of our heads that, 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 that we can do this if we just try hard enough or if we're just obedient enough or if we're just good Christians enough? What if, what if the most spiritual response you could have this morning to Christmas and to this message is to say, God, I just can't. I just can't. If, if, if that's where you are, uh, I want to say something to encourage you. Think about it. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to the earth. The first Christmas was the first Christmas because of things we can't do. We can't earn God's grace. We can't deserve God's love. We can't get our act together all by ourselves. Jesus came because of what we can't do. Man, there's so many, so many there's, there's more things in my life that I need done that I can't do than I can. And Christmas means, well, let me share with you my favorite verse from the scriptures along these lines. You might recognize it. It's, it's, it's Luke 2.11. He says, for unto you, and listen, this is not just scripture from some ancient, you know, long time ago, far, far away. This is for you. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior 
which is Christ the Lord. And when it says that he's your savior, it doesn't just mean that he's gonna fix everything up between you and God so you can go to heaven when you die. It means he's here to save you in this life from the things that you can't save yourself from. There is so much that we can't save ourselves from. But Christmas means that it's going to be all right because unto you is born a savior. You can't. I can't. But he can. So I want to take a minute right now just to wrap this up. To give him a chance. Here's what I want to ask everybody to do. Work with me. I'd like for everybody to put their both feet flat on the floor in front of them if you would. Work with me. Okay. And what I'd like to ask you to do. Uh, I do this sometimes. I'd like to ask you to, to put your, your hands on your knees with your palms up. Don't worry. It's not going to get weird. <laughs> All right. Nobody's going to levitate or nothing. <laughs> Promise. And... Uh, Close your eyes if you would. And let me walk you through something. Lord, in our hands are these hurts, these wounds, these insults, these rejections, these betrayals. And they're in our hands and we can feel them and we can't let go. We can't let go. We know you want us to. We know you want to bless us, but we just feel like we can't. We can't. And we come to you now in faith to say, I can't. You can. I want to let you. And as a symbol of your willingness to let God do for you what you can't do for yourself, I want to ask you now, and, and if you don't need to do this, just go along with it so people around you won't feel too weird. As a symbol of your willingness to say to God, I can't, but you can. I want to let you. Just go from a posture with your hands of palms up to palms down. Turn them over. And keep your hands extended so even if there was something in your hand, you couldn't hold on to it anymore. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning with open hearts. And if we can't open our hands to let go of this stuff, help us. Help us. Help us. And in your name, Jesus, we say amen. Amen.